And welcome to the Plant a Trillion Tree podcast. I'm Eva Monheim. And I'm Hal Rosner. We're both certified arborists, credentialed by the International Society of Arboriculture. The purpose of our podcast is to encourage tree planting and proper tree care for our urban forest, which includes neighborhoods, parks, and other open space. We'll also cover the importance of the already existing tree cover and the benefits. So welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is being recorded on April 23rd, 2021. Constance Fabian is a ISA certified arborist and ASCA consulting arborist. She holds a bachelor's degree in horticulture from Temple University and is currently enrolled in the Master of Environmental Studies program at the University of Pennsylvania. Constance has over 20 years of experience in the green industry. Native to Germany, she began her career as an urban forester, working with the trees in Berlin. After moving to the States, Constance worked as an assistant greenhouse manager and then as an estate horticulturalist. Before moving to Denver in 2018 to manage the Colorado operations of Bartlett Tree Experts, she spent four years with Bartlett as a plant health care specialist and arborist representative in the greater Philadelphia area. Welcome to the Planet Trillion Trees podcast, Constance. We're delighted that you could be with us today. We love the fact that you were in our area in the East and now you're in Colorado, and we can't wait to hear about what you're doing with Bartlett Tree Experts out there. So, so how's everything going, Constance? Well, it's, it's going. Um, this is my third year here now, and it took a little getting used to. I've made bigger moves before, as you know, from Germany to the East Coast, but this, uh, this is different. The, uh, the American West is a, is a different animal, but it's been very interesting. It's been, it's been a great learning, great steep learning curve. I've, I've done this type of work, as you know, for going on two decades now, but this, this climate is something else. Well, you know what we're really interested in hearing about is the fact that the native tree cover is so vastly different in Colorado as opposed to the East Coast where you're where you've been living for a very long time and of course it's different than Germany as well if you can give us an idea of how different it is what kind of trees do you have do you have more evergreen do you have more deciduous give us a little bit of background on that sure so the trees out here are mostly evergreen, ponderosa pine, and Colorado blue spruce. And if you think you have seen beautiful Colorado blue spruce out east, I will suggest that you come out here because I always thought I saw beautiful Colorado spruce out east and then I came out here and I thought, huh, this is what they're supposed to look like. They are glorious out here and they grow to incredible height and they are just, just, just spectacular trees. And for deciduous, um, we have a cottonwood, which is not, you know, a tree that is much revered out east. But here, you can trace the old creeks that are now empty because of the drought that we've had. 
But if you go to the Eastern Plains, the cottonwood canopy remains because they always grew through the American West along these creeks. So they're still here. They're also still quite popular or pre um, uh, present anyway, and even in downtown areas like Denver. I think 20% of the tree, care, tree canopy here in, in Denver metro area is ash. That probably won't be the case much longer. But for right now, um, that is still one of the few trees that grows to maturity here. So cottonwood, ash, and some elms. And the other big one that grows to maturity here is a silver maple. So these are all not particularly exciting trees when you're used to the magnificent oaks and beeches and all those kinds of trees on the East Coast. But that's what has been able to make do with the, with the harsh and unpredictable uh, climate and weather here. So your fall color would be more golden rather than oranges and reds because cottonwoods are usually yellow or brilliant yellow in the fall. And uh, you're, you have a very uh, xeric uh, location where you are located, right? Yes. So and the other tree that makes for a very pretty color in the mountain is aspen, but they also just turn yellow and, and gold. And yeah, if, if um, you know, having seen and enjoyed the uh, spectacular Indian summer out east, we were encouraged one, uh, one, one weekend last fall when the, uh, the aspens were at their peak. And uh, this was right around Vail and, you know, one town over. We drove out to, to expect, you know, this spectacular fall color. And, you know, we came basically with the wrong expectation, knowing what Indian summer looks like. And we looked at spruce trees and pine trees and yellow aspen. So we're like, huh, okay. But all, all over the news was like, well, this is the most spectacular fall color we've ever seen. I'm like, all right. And then usually it snows the next day and the leaves are all down. So it's, uh, you gotta be quick. When somebody tells you it's, it's a beautiful fall color, you gotta get in the car, you gotta get on the road and you gotta be quick. Cause it's, it's a matter of a couple of days usually. As I recall, Constance, um there is a pretty devastating pest of the of the spruces out there. Is that right in the in the mountains surrounding Denver? Yeah, they're mostly Ips beetle, bark beetles, and it's it's down here. It's in the Denver metro area. Um, it's the uh, Rocky Mountain pine beetle, the Ips beetle, or used to be called the pine engraver beetle, and then the Zimmerman pine moth is also making a great comeback. And I've seen. Oh, so it sounds like they, the pests are all coalescing, coalescing in the Denver area to feast on Pinus and Picea. And yes, and in the, yeah, in the mountains, it's in the forests, it's in the cities. It's uh, very similar, this, this trifecta of um, insects as what is um, afflicting the, the hemlocks in Pennsylvania, for instance. Right. The okay. woolly adulted, yep. yeah. The woolly adulted in Pennsylvania, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I kind of give to our listeners the idea of what your day is like as a a Bartlett tree expert. Give us an idea of what you do every day as a representative for the company. So I've been with the company going on seven years now. Started with them out east in one of our New Jersey locations then became a, an arborist representative 
that handles sales and customer service in the Philadelphia office. And then I was asked to come out here to the Denver area to start our Rocky Mountain division. And I, I am the local manager of this office. We are a team of 10 right now. And the, the greatest challenge initially was to get our name out. This is a very insulated market and it is, it's very local oriented. And even though we are a, a global company, no one knew our name here. Very few people were familiar with the company. So that was the challenge of getting our name out there, building our client base and getting the word out for the approach that we take to scientific tree care. And it's been a labor of love for two years now, and we are, we are seeing the fruits of our labor. And I go out every morning, I meet with my team for the safety meeting in the morning at the office. Everybody gets their marching orders, they get on their truck. And sometimes we have pruning jobs that take a day or two. Sometimes we have removal jobs that take a day or, or a couple. And then we have our plant health care specialists that go out and treat trees for insects, diseases, and perform soil care treatments to address nutrient deficiencies. Then I just see clients back to back to back. Usually we slow down a little bit in the winter time, but right now the phones are ringing, the, the appointment requests are coming in. So we usually, I have one other sales arborist that works with me and we just go out and meet with clients and see how we can help them take care of their trees. And knowing Bartlett quite well myself, Constance, it's uh, reassuring, I think, for me to know that the scientific approach that Bartlett has to that laundry list of pests that you just named is uh, encouraging. Because it sounds like if homeowners and institutions want to keep their spruce and cottonwoods and uh, pines looking good, then there is going to be a need to have them regularly monitored. Absolutely. And especially we know how trees and shrubs that are stressed uh, are more susceptible to these insects that are cruising around uh, all around us all the time and they will find the stressed and the weaker trees to attack. They go the path of least resistance. And we've had great stressors here um, with, with, with the incredible drought that we've had. So that has been a huge factor for us. But yeah, we have a lot of tools in our, um, in our PHC plant healthcare toolbox. We do root invigoration with, with air spades, root collar excavations. Um, so just a holistic approach to tree health and I always tell my clients, because there is a lot of news that, about these insects and how devastating a toll they are taking on our tree canopy here. And I tell my clients, you know, you don't need to outrun the bear. You just need to outrun your friend. You protect yours and you make sure your trees are happy. We can help you with that. You can't control your neighbors. You can't control your HOA. You can't control your town. I will get to them when you know when they when they are interested and and when when the, the interest is there i'll go and meet with them as well they will get the exact same approach but in the meantime if you love this tree and denverites love their trees there is shade is very hard to come by here and the these guys they love their trees and we're, we're finding uh some excitement that that we actually are providing an option for them 
to uh, to help them save their trees and keep them healthy and preserve them. Are cottonwoods struggling? Do they have any pest problems? Well, they have the they have these cankers. They don't have any insects that that we really treat. They're just all in the uh, in the overmature category here. You, you rather you really don't see too many new cottonwoods planted, and the and the the old fashioned ones actually still make the cotton. So that you know that's not exactly an asset. People don't really care for that, but <laughs> they like the shade. So they they you know they they take the good with the bad. As you know, that's that's what we all learn to love about trees. We like the benefits, but. You know, sometimes they have some some disadvantages, but people are the great great fan, fans and great friends of their trees here. Usually, for cottonwoods, we'll we'll provide some soil care and growth regulator is also usually a good first step, and then some pruning. But they usually don't have too many insect pests. They are a curious tree. I remember them growing up in the Chicago area. They were basically one of the trees that got big on Chicago's North Shore. But I remember along with, you know, probably approaching 80 feet, which was big for a Midwestern tree. Yeah, I, I do remember that canker with kind of a bacterial flux issue. Is that right? Yep. And the cotton, the cotton flurry is quite interesting to see if you've never seen a cottonwood releasing its cottony seed all over the place. And I know in, in Russia, they call it pook, and you can walk down the streets and pook is flying everywhere. <laughs> so I think it's it's quite nice to compare communities around the world and what their trees are doing and how people react to and respond to those trees. And w one of the questions I have for you, which we don't really have here in the East, these strong pyramidal trees, that we see with conifers that don't typically need to be pruned a lot or at all, unless they are a takedown. Is that is that correct, Constance? Yeah. There in, in the Denver area, where they're very they, they can handle the heavy snow load, they can handle the wind really well because they have these these wonderful shapes, these aerodynamic shapes that that wind just kind of passes over or they're in a valley and the cones are at the top of the tree and as the wind drafts come down the valleys into the valleys they disperse the seed and also help with pollination very very different than what we have here in the east yeah these spruces are definitely designed to have their 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 branches bend under the snow load especially in the mountains it snows a lot. It snows probably almost every day, every week in the winter. So it's a it's a beautiful sight to see. It's not, you know, the, the Rocky Mountains are not far from the Denver metro area. You know, the town usually empties out uh, over the weekends in the winter time, and they're just spectacular scenery. The Ponderosa pines, not so much. You know, we know pine trees they're a little different. They they have different branch attachments, so they are not as flexible with with load. Usually, we don't um, clean up too many spruces from snow damage, snow and ice damage. They will, however, topple over in a good windstorm. We had an incredible 
what was called a derecho here last summer. And we had pockets of the town that looked like a tornado went through mm. and trees that, you know, that looked beautiful one day, they were just, just had just toppled over. And we don't prune spruces just to shape them. They just, when left alone, they grow best here, unless there are issues with uh, building clearance or visibility. And what we've done here, not often, but the uh, one of the, the little bit the pruning that we do on spruces is uh, raise the skirt, as they call it here. And we will just prune the lower branches off so that when they're in conflict with street signs or uh, an, an intersection, that there is no uh, danger to pedestrians or in vehicular traffic. But we usually don't prune spruce trees. You, you know, you get the deadwood on the inside, but it's not high on people's priorities list. The, a lot of the pruning that we do here is to keep up with deadwood and broken in the deciduous trees here. The first time I met you, Constance, uh, I remember you, I was very impressed because you told a story. I think you had just gotten back from a flight either to Ger from Germany or Sweden. I think you had gone over to see a performance of the ballet. And I remember you telling me, I don't believe in jet lag. And I always think about that because I only need to fly one time zone and I'm jet lag. Yeah, it's all in your head. That jet lag thing is all in your head. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things are all in my head. <laughs> You know, that it's such an interesting transition that you've made from the East Coast and our Pennsylvania hardwood forests to the Denver metropolitan area. Any overviews as an arborist in terms of how you see or don't see the impacts of climate change? It's a different feel here. I never lived in Colorado before being asked to come out here. I'd never even been here. But the way the American West and, and this area approaches nature, appreciates nature, was really eye-opening. Um, it, it seems more genuine. It seems more integrated into everyone's consciousness. Uh, whether nature, forests, trees, it's on the news all the time. People talk about it, but they're coming at it from a different angle. We, I lived on the East Coast for 20 years and I've worked in the, in the industry uh, for as long. It just felt very different. And there are weather phenomenon out here that I had never encountered anywhere else. It can snow anywhere, anytime, at the drop of a hat. I can leave my office in Littleton, and it's sunny and 50 degrees, and I drive on 470 past Red Rocks, and it rains, and I come home to Arvada, which is on the way to Boulder, and I drive into a blizzard, all within an hour. It's an incredible variety of pop-up storms, that I never even realized existed anywhere. And then we were exposed this past summer to the other major climate change factor that I don't think there is much of a concept out east because it rains all the time, and that's those drought-fueled wildfires. Mm -hmm. And that is an incredible threat to the American West, 
the, we're running out of water. You've probably read that in the news that, you know, they're looking to put in place federal water restrictions because the Colorado River that supplies seven states with water is running out of water and it's running out fast because it's too dry, more water evaporates, less snowfalls even in the mountain. That's where all these creeks and rivers and reservoirs are getting their refills is from the snow melt, not from the rain. The average precipitation here uh, is about 12 to 15 inches a year. And trees know they're not going to get a whole lot of water here. But last year, I think we got nine inches. And we had, I think, three, three of the wildfires we had here in Colorado last year were the largest and the longest on record. It's unbelievable the amount of forest and, and brush these fires consume, the amount of air particles and smoke these fires create. We, we, had an, we had an extensive fire here in Grand Junction, which is on the western slopes on the way to Utah, and it burnt, that burned for months. And I had gone away for a long weekend because now I can drive to Yellowstone. So drive to Yellowstone, we did. And we spent a weekend in Yellowstone and we could not see the Grand Tetons because of the smoke that had blown across from the California wildfires. Mm. That's how bad it is. Well, that is a terrific uh, answer. I mean, I re uh, appreciate it and I can tell it's also something that as an arborist, you, you've given it a lot of thought. I mean, that's kind of what inspired Eva and I to get together with the scientific community to keep calling for plant a trillion trees. It seems like with the work that you're doing as an arborist every day at the preservation end of things is even more critical. I think that that is very telling for, for everyone, a wake up call the way you describe the fi fires out in Denver, it's very alarming for someone who lives on the East Coast to hear something like that because I've been to Colorado and dro drove through it with the family and was very impressed with the terrain. And But the zero conditions out there, we don't have them nearly. We may have a few days that'll be that zero as opposed to what you have out there. And how do you even start to plant if you wanted to replant? Is it something that can, can be done? Can you justify planting large patches of trees and will they survive if you're having these massive droughts? Yeah, any residential property in the greater Denver area has a very intricate, elaborate, irrigation system. I've never seen anything like it. It's very hard to plant here. It's very hard to, you know, prepare for planting by removing a tree and grinding a stump. Because if you don't have irrigation, everything dies. You can't have turf, you can't have shrubs, you know, you, you there, there is a, a push for, uh, you know, native marrow, meadow areas, um, just like, you know, like prairie type, uh, vegetation like out on the eastern plains, but even they need water. Um, I've I've read reports last year that some of those seeds never even sprouted on the prairies because there was not enough moisture, there was not enough snowpack 
and not enough moisture. And, you know, I still get lots of phone calls and emails from the East Coast and, you know, the, the usual, like, and I remember, I remember this from living there. Oh my God, it's so dry. It's been four years, four, four weeks without a drop of rain. And like, that's adorable. Try three years without a drop of rain. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we, we laugh here because when it rains, like they, they will have it in the forecast, but it's like the kind of, I don't, I don't know if I'm at the wrong, in the wrong town, I'm in the wrong neighborhood when it actually rains, but they're, they're, they're like rains. You don't even get wet. Like I haven't used my windshield wipers probably in a year and a half. It, it's just, it evaporates sometimes before it hits the ground. And, you know, as a company, we plant trees and we enjoy planting trees. And, you know, we feel that we know how to do it properly. There's, you know, a lot of um, information out there with different outcomes. When trees go, you know, first go in the ground, we tend to think that we do it well. But it is very hard to get young trees established here with, without constant... Uh, watering and soil care, and you can, you also you can't. I mean, you can get a tree established with with your irrigation, but it's more of a permanent approach. Like out east, you plant a tree, you tell the client, okay, I water this once a week, and then wean it off because it's going to rain every week. Here, it's a it's a different approach, and. I don't see that getting any better. I, I, I have seen no indicators that say we will get more snow in the future. We will get more rain in the future. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure, in, especially in greater forest settings, um, how we're going to overcome that challenge. That's the existential dread portion of the podcast. Yeah, they're right there. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> We want to be able to encourage people to plant the trillion trees. But again, not every place can handle tree planting. And we need to find those places that are best for tree planting to filter the water, to provide clean air. But at the same time, we, uh, we, we, we really don't appreciate what we have, especially here in the East, that, that we could be planting a lot more to make things a little bit better. And I, and climate crisis is real. I wanna make sure that everybody knows that it is real because plant people know it first, that's been proven. And that we notice, we notice the subtleties that other people may not know because they're not in nature all the time. You know, they may be budding up early, they may be going to sleep earlier, losing their leaves earlier, or they may be fruiting earlier and longer all those signs are critical for phenology, plant phenology, and you know, there's people who don't don't believe it. Yeah, there. I'm I'm sure there are people like that here, and I have adjusted over the years to different attitudes to the point where I will say to a client, it doesn't really matter if you believe in climate change. It doesn't even matter if I believe in climate change. But your trees believe in climate change and they are on the front lines and they're trying to tell us something and, and we just need to figure out what it is we can do to help. But the signs are there and usually, and we know this too, when, when a tree starts looking 
so bad that a homeowner recognizes it, we're already behind the eight ball and we have to get ahead of these. And there are strategies, we, we know what we can do, but you know, we, it's, it's, it's a team effort. You know, we, we, we have solutions to a lot of the problems, not all of them, but you know, it's, it's a huge effort. It's a global effort. It's a national effort. It's a company effort to stay ahead of the curb and to find solution and offer them. That's all we can do. We can, we can provide people with information. What they do with that information is their choice. Are you making any recommendations for different types of trees to be planted in the area if, if someone is a homeowner? Something that may be more xeric related? Yeah, it's still a fairly broad plant palette here. There isn't really a you know, any one go-to species, we're so limited with, with what we, what does well here. And, you know, then, then the different municipalities have outlawed the planting of different species or even different cultivars. So you have to inform yourself quite well and with each municipality, what it is that you can and cannot plant. And then the homeowners and the clients always have their own ideas. Denver, as a city is um, nicely aware of having to improve their diversity when they require replanting in removal projects. When I have a, a homeowner that tells me, well, this, this dies the second time it died now, what can I plant here? I direct them towards what is native and what does well within their immediate community. You know, sometimes people want something that does well even 20 miles away from them, but these microclimates are incredible here. Everything changes so quickly. We are the mile high city, but there are communities that are at 4,000 feet, 6,000 feet, 7,000 feet, this exposure to prevailing winds. And it's, I just take it, you know, take a walk. We'll, we'll go together. We'll, we'll see what does well. And if you want a tree here, and if you want it quick for privacy or shade, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. It'll be an uphill battle if you try and bring something in that you're not seeing in your community yet. You're not going to be the guy that establishes the, you know, a new species. It's just not how mm -hmm. it works. So it's it's very different across the area. It's really fascinating how how dramatically different the United States can be from one coast to the other and from the north to the south, that we can have such a range of different climates and microclimates. Uh, before we let you go, Constance, I know Bartlett was uh, early on in innovator for biochar. I guess I was thinking about it also because somewhere along the line, I think your former lab colleague, Dr. Hendrickson, gave a couple really great presentations on biochar. And I remember him telling about some of the bigger facilities for making it are in fact in Colorado because of the enormous amount of biomass. How's biochar working out for you? Does it have an application in, in the Denver area? Yeah, we incorporate, it's, it's a little bit of a new uh, phenomenon here, I'm not gonna lie. And we are introducing it through our root invigoration process. So that's where we incorporate um, the, the chunky kind, you know, uh, so, so biochar is, 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 a, is charcoal, basically straight charcoal that we incorporate with organic matters such as compost into our uh, uh, root invigoration process. So we use an air spade, 
that breaks up compaction. There are a lot of buried root collars still here, or uh, turf is planted right up against tree trunks. And we know that trees prefer to have their root flare exposed to sunlight and oxygen. So when we use our air spade um, for our root invigoration, we usually do a soil analysis, we incorporate compost and also the, the chunky biochar. So that's the application where we're introducing it into, into the environment here, basically, into the market. Yeah, for anyone that's interested, TCI Magazine, Tree Care Industry Association, has revamped their magazine. Maybe there are a couple of issues into it, but they have a, a big, colorful article on biochar in the April uh, issue of TCI Magazine. And I do encourage people because uh, there's plenty of biochar out there for arborists to learn about and begin to incorporate, um, you know, on the heels of what we just talked about with climate change. Uh, it is a product for climate sequestration as well. So it's a good thing. Let's all use it. The bee's knees. Before you go, Constance, can you tell us your favorite tree? But do you have a favorite tree or a favorite group of trees? I sure do. So in, in Berlin, where I grew up, went to high school and had my first job there with the Berlin Forest Service, we had very sandy soils and we had a lot of pine trees. However, the, the majestic um, beech tree, the European beech tree, with huge branches, you know, just like coming four foot off the bottom of the trunk and just, just an incredible crown spread. That was always my favorite. And you could eat the seeds. As kids, we would eat the seeds and you would, you know, stick the, uh, the spiky little seed pot into some, you know, the back of somebody's neck. That was my favorite tree and a beautiful fall color. And on the East Coast, you can't deny the, the, the beauty of a, of a, a, a yeah, red oak or a sugar maple uh, in the fall, but I love red buds. I love red buds. They're just the heart-shaped leaf, the, the tiny buds, just, just spectacular color. That it blooms when there are no leaves yet, so it's, it's, it was always a, a great sign of spring, just a great sign of awakening, driving through the Philadelphia area and just look, knowing where my, my favorite red buds were. I had a few at my house too, so I would go with red bud out east. And here it's hands down the Colorado blue spruce, hands down. Great answers. The red buds are in bloom right now here in uh, the Philadelphia region. They, in fact, I think this year they're probably the, the best they've ever been uh, that I can remember. And they are spectacular. And uh, they say hello. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so European beech nuts, were you uh, eating them raw? Do you crack them in your teeth or how do you do that? Yeah, you step on them and then you, you, you get the seed out you know, there's a couple, you know, per chamber, and then you just, you just eat them. We were kids. We didn't know what we were eating, but they were yummy. <laughs> They're good. They're good. The deer like them too. <laughs> well, thank you very much for being on our show this week. We really appreciate it. And we thank you for, for your love of trees. Thanks so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, Eva. Thanks, Hal. Great to see you, Constance. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Thank you. 